Because today, um, today, he is risen. Amen. To old church, we'd say he's risen. And what would you say back? He's risen indeed. No question about it. The dead body of Jesus came back to life. And uh, we celebrate that as Christians. You know, I was, I was here yesterday. Our candy hunt was just off the chain. And, uh, and they were telling about, you know, a little... Little, Because we like to give the gospel, even though people are getting candy, the gospel's better, right? And so, so they were sharing about how that it's not about the, the rabbits, and it's not about the, the baby ducks, and it's not about, I don't know, the grass and the baskets. And, and then they had this big egg, and they said, you know, the egg was empty, and, and then they talked about the tomb. And Miss Carolyn just went all tent preacher. It seemed like for a moment she went, it's all about Jesus. <laughs> not quiet, but close. But it's all about Jesus. Let me, let, me, let me help you. Let me help you. This is, your, this is your pastor. If you're a guest, I want to help you too. Let me help you. That every day, not just today, not just Sunday, not just Easter Sunday, not just Resurrection Sunday, every day is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It's never going to stop being about Jesus because it's all about him. That's what makes the difference. And so today... You know, just preparing, thought, you know, what will, here's, through the pastor's mind, you come up on a day like this, you're thinking, well, I've got this story that I talked about last year. If you've been doing it as long as I've been doing it, I've talked about it a whole lot of years. Every year, this story, greatest story ever told, greatest event that ever happened in the history of the world, right, the resurrection of Jesus. What can happen is some folks can walk in and say, well, I know that story, so I'm going to read from John chapter 3, some verses that help us understand some things, and then we're going to spend the rest of the time expounding. And I'm giving you a story today, a story that you're, some of you, many of you maybe, will be very unfamiliar with. And I'm doing that on purpose because I don't want you to just check out because you've heard it before. We're going to tell you a story that, that you haven't heard, a story that most people wouldn't connect at all to the place we're at today, but, but we're going to do it because... I, want, I don't want you to check out on me because you've heard it before because God can do something transformational in your life today. I don't want you to miss that. Somebody shout, I don't want to miss it. Yeah. John chapter 3, we're going to pick it up. In verse uh, 14, um, it says this. Verse 14, John chapter 3, Nicodemus has come to Jesus in the night and it said, and as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, 15 makes us think of 316, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. For God did not send, here's a good verse, you might highlight this one, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through, uh, that through him the world would be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Now check this out. Let's just stop there a moment. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. So there's just something going on. Then he tells us, here's why, because he has not believed in the name of this, uh, his holy son, and this is, here's explanation, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, Jesus has come into the world, 
and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God. So there's a passage. Mark that this week. Go back and read it. Some of you are going to take notes. Because I'll challenge some stuff maybe that you think. So write it down so you can go home this week and, and, and read it or, or at least research it and find out what you feel for yourself. John 3.16 has got to be the most popular verse of all time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Even if you don't regularly attend church or, or maybe you don't open your Bible all the time, you have an idea of that verse. You could, you could almost quote it. Many of you could quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I will stop there because that's where it starts because all of us have had this problem. All of humanity has had a problem. And I'll dig into these later, but I just want to give this to you right now, and if you're, you, want, you can jot it down already, is that there's some things in my life that are out of my control. I have no control over. And because of that, one of those was a sin, the sin deal. Humanity has that. You know, watch this. You know, I... And I I'm not the guy. doesn't mean I'm not going to mention sin or talk about it from time to time, but I'm just going to tell you that I don't feel like I get up, get up here and explain a lot about sin because you're pretty good at it. You know, humans are pretty good at sin. Nobody, nobody necessarily taught you how to sin. You know that little child, sweet, innocent? One day you find out they come to you, you know, just, just this beautiful made in the image of God, child comes to you and tells you just a bald-faced lie. And you never sat down and said, okay, here's your manner. Say please and thank you. And make sure you lie a little bit. You never told them that. You didn't teach them how to construct a lie. They just decided on their own. Somehow this innate sinful desire produced that. Right? Your, your child could be playing with a toy. Leave it, go to another toy, another kid gets that toy, and your child goes over and says, mine, and is ready to go to war over having the child that it, the, to the toy that it wasn't interested in. What's, what's that about? Well, that selfishness is, is the innate sinful desire quality that we have. All of us have it. And, and here's the thing, we couldn't do anything about it on our own. We didn't have the ability. We, I mean, you say, well, I... I, I I'm going to try to be a really good person. I got this new book. There's three, there are three shelves of them at Barnes and Nobles, self-help books, and I've been reading it, and I'm feeling pretty good. I think I can do some stuff. I'm going to tell you, keep on trying. In your own, in your own ability, you're always going to fall short. You say, well, I'm turning over a new leaf. How many leaves have you turned over? Turn a new page. Don't go all Bob Seger on me. I, I, I'm just saying you can try to do it. You could say, well, I'm going to join this. this I'm going to volunteer and help this group. You could volunteer for every, every group that humanitarian provides humanitarian help and support and aid and still deal with a sin issue in your life because ultimately you don't have any control over that. Now, now here's, what, here's what it says in John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Then it says this that whoever believes on him. Second thing I want to talk about for a few moments today is this idea there are some things I do have control over. 
This is, this is step one. This is starting point of where you start to say, you know what? I, I can't do anything about these, but I can trust in Jesus. I can trust in him. I can put my trust in him. The one who was completely righteous, because the Bible says my righteousness is like filthy rags. It's a stench in the nostrils of God when I try to do good things on my own. Because I always am going to, to, to cloud that with my, with my sinful nature. But what, what he says is that if you put your trust in me, not in your righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, no guile was found in his mouth, the only human being to live on this planet, to live and to die sinless, that I put my trust in him. Well, then it's a whole other story. I can't control, right? There, there's a debt I owed that I could not pay. I couldn't meet the ransom. God gave his only son. And he says, what do I, what do I need to do in response to that? What I can do is I can, I can say, yes, I trust. And then he says this, that when you do that, that there is... You're not going to perish, but you're going to have eternal, everlasting life. Here's the third thing we're going to talk about today is that there is one, a God, who ultimately controls the outcome. That's good news. That's good news. Because there's people trying to do good stuff, people trying to not do bad stuff, and, and what they end up doing is they have a hopeless future because ultimately God controls it. And what he says is, trust in me when you trust what my son has done, the righteousness of Jesus there is hope, and John, or Jeremiah 29, 11 says that, that he has a hope and future, an expected end. The KJV says an expected end, an expected outcome for you when you put your trust in him. So here's a title. You can jot this down. I kind of worked through a bunch of stuff trying to figure out something. You know, pastors try to do all this stuff. And, and just in light of the resurrection, here's what my title is. You can jot this down. Resurrection Realization. Things that I realize because of the resurrection. And the story I'm going to use, again, is one that, that maybe you're not as familiar with. And I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to walk us through it. And then you can read it, 2 Kings chapter 7. Second King, Old Testament, way back there, dug in, like, right in between a bunch of other books that you'll struggle to say the names of. 2 Kings chapter 7. And you can read it this week. Here's, here's the story. Um, the Syrians have went out of the, after the city in Samaria, and, and it's bad. The army is gathered around, and uh, it's famine in the city. You can't get food in and out. The people are starving. It's horrendous. Um, the, outside, of the, outside of the gate of the city, there's four leprous guys. They have leprosy. And leprosy is this. It's a picture of, in the Bible, it's a picture of sin. It symbolizes sin. Many times it's used to typify what sin is because leprosy, once you got it, you're kind of stuck and it just kind of decays and eats at you till, till eventually you die. And it was a long, excruciating, painful death. Tacked the nervous system. I mean, fingers fell off and ears and stuff, but worse, worse than that, it, it made you just feel horrible about you and your future. Depressing, discouraging, uh, it was just a disillusional life. So the four men have that. They're outside of the gate. And then the Syrian army is kind of poised out there. And the Syrian army has kind of held them captive. And the conditions are so bad that, that people are eating donkey heads if they could get one. And, there's a, and it, it tells this in, 
in the preceding chapter before 2 Kings 7 that there's a deal worked out between two mothers, and the deal is this, that the one mother says, we'll eat your child today, and tomorrow we'll eat my child. And then she won't, she won't surrender her child after they eat the first one. Cannibalism. You kind of get the picture how bad it is. It's bad. I mean, inflation, gas prices are high. I mean, it's bad. Really bad. Really bad. Worse than what we could imagine. And these four guys with leprosy, they're sitting out there, and, well, I guess if you're them, you could have a lot to complain about. You got a condition that's unchangeable, and you're heading toward death, and you're miserable. You're excluded and detached from everyone else. You're, you're the outlier in the situation. And, uh, and there they are, and they got a situation they have no control over. And in life, there's just some things that you don't have any control over. You didn't pick your parents. I don't guess you did. I don't know anybody that did. You got the parents that you got. You didn't, you didn't pick the neighborhood that, or the, the socioeconomic status that you were born into. You got whatever it was. I have friends that, uh, growing up, and friends now that went to private schools that were very nice and great education, had other friends, grew up in the suburbs. I grew up on the east side in my early days and went to school 99, Arlington Woods, and uh, 30th and Ritter. And I, I, I remember in second grade, because it was kindergarten through eighth, and our, our seventh, one of the seventh grade teachers, Mr. South, got stabbed in the neck outside the hall or the doors uh, after school one day. And in second grade, I remember telling us that, like that was something that happened because that was just, I mean, it was, that was where we were at. And I could get, well, I wish I had something different. No, that's what it was. It's what it was for you, wherever you were at, wherever you were born into. I mean, let me show you this. Your skin color, your eye color, your hair Well, some of you ladies have figured out how to change your hair color. But, <laughs> but for the most part, all that kind of, it's what it is. It's your DNA. Some of you have big, long, flowing locks of hair. I have a beautiful bald head. I can't become like you, but you can become like me. Just go to the right barber, and they, they, they can do this for you. Hey, I'm just saying this, that, that all of us have stuff in life that we can't control. But here it is. Here it is. Maybe it's a deficiency or, or a deformity or something that we, we, we wish. Or maybe, maybe it's just, you know, I, I, when I was a youth pastor, a lot about, you know, uh, body image and those thoughts about how to do it. Because sometimes we just get what we get. You, you may be short, you may be tall, you may be something in between. It's just what it is. Just what it is. And what, see, what happens is we can get all messed up and start comparing ourselves to other people. And we don't have any control over it, right? We, 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 we're who we are. Learn to live in your own skin. It's important. Not try, to, not try to second guess. Theodore Roosevelt said it like this. He said, comparison is the thief of joy. And that's so true, right? Because I, I just want to tell you this. You don't always know what somebody else is dealing with or what they went through or what they went through to get where they're at. Don't compare yourself to others because you have no idea what someone else's journey has been or is all about. Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, envy makes the bones rot. It's just ugly. It messes you up on the inside. It takes away the, the very uh, structure of who you are when you're just envious of others. Well, I was on sabbatical. Um, we just got back a few weeks ago. Most of you know that. Some of you may not. And, and uh, we were at a retreat, Kim and I, and it's just a small group of people. The group I'm with, they, they had scheduled a speaker and didn't tell us who it was. So that's a little different. 
for me, I like to make a judgment on what I'm going to do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I used to, I used to be involved in worship. I get because when you, you know, these, these worship people, they listen to hundreds of songs trying to find one that they feel right. It's right. And, and my 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 quick assessment was back because I had cassettes back when I did it. I'd hit it. Okay, ten seconds in. Next song. <laughs> my wife would say, "You don't give it a chance." She'd let me hear a song. She'd listen to this beautiful song. I said, "Wow, where'd you get that?" She said, "It's the one that you bypassed and went through the other ones for." So the speaker, I'm like, oh, we don't know who it is. And the guy gets up, and I can't even hardly understand him. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what did they do? And I did all this to get here, and I'm here. Remember, I'm the guy that speeds through the thing. And then I listen, and as I listen, uh, Dr. Gary Oliver, he's a chair at uh, uh, a psychological psychology department at the University of Arkansas, and... Uh, a seminarian, believer, follower of Christ, who said, I want to help people that struggle with, with, um, with their, uh, their thoughts and their, and their mind and, and the sickness that they may be dealing with. And, and so he began to tell. That's why I couldn't understand him. That he'd had eight cancer. He'd been di diagnosed with cancer eight times and seven cancer surgeries. And one of the last ones that he had, they had to remove his tongue. Yeah. So then I listened. Repented of my impatience of wanting to think that I should be able to move quickly with this. He said that it was a surgery where the doctor came to his bed after he'd recovered and was to himself and said, good news is we didn't have to remove your jaw bad news is you're going to be on a feeding tube for the rest of your life and you're not going to be able to speak. Quite possibly not be able to speak at all. He was in there several days. I can't remember the extent of how long he was in there and they went through all the process of trying to do the therapy because after you, you, you lay there, there's atrophy and all the kinds of things that can happen. And, and so it's the day when he's going home and his wife picks him up and they're driving down the road and all of a sudden, he grunted, mm, mm. and she looked at him, and he did that. And there was a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Long line, but quick, right? And he's doing that. And she said, you want to go to Chick-fil-A? Mm. So she pulls in there, and, uh, you know, and I, as he's telling the story, I'm thinking, what's he going to do? Like, is it, is it chicken nuggets? What's, you know, the waffle fries? What's, and he, she looks at him and he does this. He said, you want a Coke? Mm. Gets the Coke. They pull back out into the, into the traffic. He's got the Coke here. Got his bag thing that he's holding. And he, he reaches up to his mouth and he pushes his lips apart just a little bit because they're still together. And he puts the straw in, and he, he pulls on it. And he said, I got two or three drops of Coke in my mouth that hit the roof of my mouth. And he said, I could taste them. He said, it was so good. He said, I bit my head over, and he said, I just began to weep and cry. And thank God that I could still do that. And I don't know how you're feeling right now. But I'm sitting there just feeling pretty convicted. 
because I've complained about stuff, got angry about stuff that, that was so trite and trivial in life. And I'm hearing him saying this over something that, that what he's saying is I had no control over this surgery and they came and told me this and he didn't go into all the detail like this, but this is me. And I, I had all this going on and yet God sustained me through it all. And the one thing that if you talk to Dr. Gary Oliver, he could tell you that he had control over is what's he going to do in response to what he's dealing with. And the thing that he decided to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thank God that I still can't taste this somehow. Because there's some things in life you don't have any control over, but there's some things in life I do have control over. And these four guys sitting outside of this city, these city gates, they got leprosy. They say to themselves, why do we sit here till we die? If we go into the city, there's famine there, we're going to die there. If we sit here, we're going to die. If we go to the Syrian army, well, they may kill us and we'll die. Or they may keep us alive and we'll live. And then the next verse, it says, at twilight, they got up and they went to meet with the Syrian army. I want to tell you, that's a pretty amazing decision, isn't it? Death, 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 maybe, maybe life. I'm going to go with life. I'm going to go with life. That's the only response. Your response to all that God has done for you. You arrive here on Sunday, April the 17th at Elevation Church in the 1045 service. Just let me, let me tell you something. God has done so much for you that your response is to say, should be this, God, I believe, I trust, I thank you for all that you've done. Because what we can do, we can get caught in the trap of complaining about the things that we've been dealt. Some of you would say, hey, there's things I've done in my past and I'm just still upset about it. Don't be, don't be held captive to your, to your past. Some of you maybe would say, there's some things that were done to me and I'm still carrying the weight of that. I, I would say this, allow God to help you move away from that. I want to tell you, it's not healthy to stay stuck to it. And you, you say, Pastor, you understand the pain. I probably don't. But I know this, that that pain happened in a season. It shouldn't be for a lifetime. There's hope in God to get beyond that. And I think many times it has to do with our want to. Everybody say want to. So you can have a good want to in your life. People come to Jesus for the first time. I'll watch, man. They, they want it all. Anybody remember when you first made a decision to cross the line of faith and trust Christ? It's like you wanted everything. They're having that. I want to go. They're doing this. I want to be there. Why? Because your want to was great. And sometimes throughout life, I mean, in fact, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the Tigger guy. Everybody know what Tigger does. He's the yes guy. You want, you want to go ice skating? Yes. You want to pick crab apples? Yeah, whatever it is. Tigger's like, yes. It's having the right want to, having a big want to. And uh, what I find is that's, that's the part of my control what I, what I think about, what goes on in here, what I dwell on, what I speak, the attitude that I choose. And you know attitude's a choice. You, you, you've got you to get to this decision that you're not acting or, or, or feeling your way into actions, but you've got to act your way into a feeling. 
You've got to make a decision that today I'm going to choose what my attitude is. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, I'm going to read from the Message Bible. It said, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you've learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Starts there, right? That's the starting point. I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust, and I'm going to choose what I dwell on, what I think about. In fact, Colossians, Paul wrote in Colossians 3.1, he wrote to, to believers, people that had trusted Christ, and he said, since you then have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So here's the way I control. Here's, here's where I have control. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in our world that you can get caught up in trying to form an opinion about and losing sleep over. We'll have a, you know, since, I, since I've, been, I've voted in all kinds of elections, I've missed some, I've voted a lot, but we'll have another one in November. Everybody know that? If you don't, I'm telling you, they'll have one. It's not presidential. It won't get the fanfare that the other ones get, and people will go vote. Like, I always say this. Don't get caught up in, well, my person didn't get it. Ultimately, God's in control. Some of you would do good if you could rest in that, that, that ultimately God's in control and that, and that there's some things out of my control, and so I'm just, I'm just going to rest in the fact that I'm going to do what I do, what I can control. Everybody say, what I can control. Yeah, and Paul says this, choose your attitude. Find, find the right things to think about, and don't get so earthly-minded. I'm praying for the Ukrainian people and praying for the Russian people and a whole lot of other people around the world because here's what, I, here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping somehow that God will work in that. I know he will, and he'll bring some resolution. But I want to tell you, you can't camp out there and have your mind troubled every day and night and lose sleep because you don't have control over it. You're, you're not, you're not uh, Vladimir Putin or Volodymyr Zelensky. You, you don't have control over that situation. And so you've got you to rest in, and understand that some things are out of my control, but the thing I can control is where I put my focus, where I put my focus and uh, I, I, I believe this, that, that uh, I can either believe my mood or I can believe my God. Sometimes I can't believe both. Are you with me? Don't be a, don't be a prisoner of the past, as I said. Also, don't get, become a prisoner of the present. But you're so captiva captivated by what's going on right now that you lose sight of what God is doing and has done in your life. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. It's putting my faith, my trust, my belief in the resurrected Savior that God provided. Because God is good. Somebody shout, God is good. God is good. God is good. Old church, they used to say, God is good. And everybody go, all the time. And the preachers say, all the time. And people say, God is good. That's good. You may be saying, though, Pastor, my situation is not looking good right now. Don't get lost in that. Don't get distracted by the situation that doesn't seem good 
and lose sight that God is still good. Sometimes you got to say, God, I want you to adjust my focus. Give me another lens so I continue to see how good you are, even though I don't see the situation good. Eventually, when I keep my focus on him, I want to tell you, your situation can change. Also, in the midst of your situation, God can change you when you continue to accept him and know him as the good God that he is. One of, my, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Psalms 23. I've used it at funerals over the years. I don't know if I've ever been to a funeral where somebody didn't say it or it was on a card somewhere. And it opens up. Again, this one's popular ones that you know. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And at funerals, that's the way, that's the way we do. We're all being tender and trying to read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't think David said it that way, though. Just my opinion. You could argue with me one of these days. I probably won't change. I'm not easily given to change. It's one of my struggles. I'm just confessing. But I kind of see David, because, you know, David is the, the lion killer. He's, he's the bear killer. He's the, he's the guy that when all of the army of Israel is afraid and there's a giant and a Philistine army, he says, okay, I got my sling, got five stones, let's go. You know what I mean? That's David. So David doesn't seem like he's like there tending to his sheep on the side of the mountain, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think David is more, and let me tell you something, you got to let this drop in you. David is more like, the Lord is my shepherd. He's got it. I don't have to want. I don't have to worry. I don't have to struggle with this. All I need to do is trust in him. He's the shepherd. He's my protector. He's my provider. He's my guide. He's going to lead me along the path of righteousness, along still waters. He's got it covered. I can put my trust in him. What I can control is where my faith is at and where my trust is at. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 said, Whatever, whatever's going on, whatever the case may be, Here's the will of God concerning us, that we give thanks. That's where our trust is at. Some of you, I know, you may have come to hear a good TED talk, and I'm not a good TED talker, so some guys do it well. I get loud sometimes. I go on tangents sometimes. Hopefully the Holy Spirit's in that when I do. So here's these four guys. They've decided they can't go in the city. They can't stay there. If they go there, they might live. And so... They get up, and they start moving toward the Syrians at twilight. And here's what we find out later. At twilight, God did something. Because there is one who controls the outcome. So they're heading there. They get there. They don't see anybody outside. There's no people. There's tents. They look in the tents. Nobody in the tents. There's, there's horses and donkeys and food and gold and clothing and stuff everywhere and no people well what the lord did was at twilight he caused the sound of an army to come and they thought the the, the king there had hired the the hittite or the egyptian army and so they fled and they left it all lock stock and barrel and they're there because let me be real honest with you four guys with leprosy show up to your army mm, we're gonna let them stay with us and be alive or we're gonna kill them these are from the enemy, and no doubt those guys had rehearsed it all. And we get there, I'm going to say this, and the other ones say, I'm going to say this, and then they rehearse it, and then one of them's like, blows it every time. No, it's not when you talk, we're going to do it this way, because they're trying to get their presentation. I can just imagine, get their presentation right. They get there, there's nobody. Because God controls the outcome. 
God controls the outcome. And throughout, throughout God's word, I'm just telling you, this Bible is replete with the proof that God controls the outcome. I mean, it's, it's uh, go all the way back to Adam and Eve. In the garden, they sin. Got the fig leaves. I mentioned it last week. Got the fig leaves kind of hiding. God's wondering where they're at. They're hiding, thinking somehow they could hide. In that moment, God could have wiped them out. Okay, I'm done with you. I'll just create a couple new people, and we'll start all over. But he doesn't. He shows grace. I'll tell you, some people got the wrong picture of God. God shows grace in that moment. He shows love because he loved Adam and Eve, and he controlled the outcome. It's Daniel. Daniel praying, honoring his God in a culture that didn't want him to do that. King throws him in, in, in by, the, by the decree, throws him in the, the den of lions. And the lions, here's what lions do when they're hungry, and these were hungry lions, and they see something thrown to them. Well, okay, this is it. This is supper time. And they don't because God's control the outcome. I just talked about David. A sling? Even if David, even if you knock down Goliath, what are you going to do to the army when they come after you? But God controlled the outcome. I'm going to read in Mark 16. Pick it up in verse 1. New Living Translation. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus. Let me say this, dead body because he was dead. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, here's a conversation. We'll hang here for just a minute. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Isn't that a, isn't that a I mean, that's a sensible question, maybe, but we know the end of the story. In fact, it sounds a little silly that on the way there, they're thinking about how we're going to get the stone rolled away. When Jesus has resurrected. Have you ever done this, that you get to a point in your life and God has done something so beautiful and you were worrying about how's it going to work out and can I do it all the way up to that moment and then you get there and God's already got it. And all the stuff that you were just rehearsing and thinking about in your mind was all foolishness because it really didn't matter. And so, and so they're asking each other and they, they get there, but as they arrived it says they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was a very large stone, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. And he said, he's not here. He's not dead. He is risen. Somebody shout, he's risen. You know why the tomb was empty? You know why Jesus was, was not dead any longer and he was now alive? Because God controls the outcome. If you could ever get anything, understand this, God controls the outcome. You think somehow it's not going to work because you're basing it on what you can do and all this. And somebody may say, well, pastor, that's good. Praise God. But, but tell me why I'm having to deal with the stuff I'm dealing with right now. And I would say this, that... that um, Think about this. Anybody remember when you first learned how to ride a bike, bicycle? Anybody remember? Go back in your mind. You was riding with training wheels, riding with training wheels, riding with training wheels. And then one day, could have been your mom, could have been your dad, could have been somebody else. They said, we're going to take the training wheels off, 
so you can learn how to ride without them. And they pull them off. I remember, my, I, remember, I remember riding my bike, and my dad was there behind me, right? So I'm good. There's no training wheels, but he's holding on the back. Then all of a sudden, I look kind of around, and he's not there. And then, bam, I'm off the road, crashed. <laughs> Get up. I, I, I really think I was bleeding, if I remember correctly, but maybe not, because years passed, and you can exaggerate a story a little bit. So whatever, kind of shaking a little bit, stand up ready to cry or something. My dad said, you okay? I said, no. He said, get back on your bike. Let's do it again. <laughs> Here we go again. I don't, know, man. I don't know how many times I fell. Let me tell you something. I fell a lot later in life on bikes. I fell in other ways in life. And what, what I learned in the falling, let me, show, let me show you something. When you learn to ride that bike and balance, you learn how, if you fall one time, you learn how important balance is. Right? Because you learn something in the exercise of the falling. I mean, Sam, my daughter Samantha was little, and I was teaching her. I didn't want to let go of the thing. I was like running. I'm like running. She's running, going faster and faster. I'm trying to keep up with her because I was just so afraid to let go of it. And finally, I let go of it. And then sometime or another, she fell. And I said, well, let's take a break for a while. We'll come back to it. I, I'm just telling you. There's something you learn. There's something you learn in the valley that you don't learn on the mountaintop. Anybody know what I'm talking about? On the mountaintop, you learn that God is all-powerful. In the valley, you learn that he's the God of all comfort. On the mountain, you learn that he's God who reigns. In the valley, you learn that he's God who bore your grief and carried your sorrows. On the mountain, you learn that God is justice and God is righteousness. In the valley, you learn that he's the God of tender mercies and boundless grace. On the mountain, you learn that he is the God of strength and wholeness. In the valley, you learn that he's the God of healing and restoration. You learn something in the valley that you could have never gained on the mountaintop. We go through struggles in life because in those struggles, they help us to mature, to become the, the spiritual mature believers that this earth needs to see. Our world has seen too many Christians who are kind of haphazard and undeveloped and Immature. Anybody with me? And if that's been your case, I'm sorry you've had to deal with that. Just know this, that's not God's plan. I love the old song by Andre Crouch. Some of you won't even know the name, but he had this song, Through It All, Through It All. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. And then in one of the verses, he says this, I thank God for the mountains, and I thank God for the valleys. I thank him for all the storms he brought me through. And then he goes on to say this, for if I didn't have a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all, the ups and the downs and the peaks and the valleys, the hard times and the easy times, through it all, I've learned that I can trust God. I never try to throw something on you that, I'm not experiencing myself. We go, through, we go through ups and downs and hard times, times that, times that are puzzling and we don't understand. April of, well, it's almost been um, many years. It's over a decade. I'm trying to stay in my head. Twelve years. Uh, I did a funeral for my dad. My dad, about a week before he died, asked me to do his funeral. I'm like, oh, I wish you wouldn't ask me that. I didn't want to. 
I just knew. I prayed. I'm not the, some preachers can get up and cry and talk to you and all that. And I'm just, if I start crying, I go sit down for a while. It's just a mess. I can't, my face is disfigured and the whole thing, you know. So, but I did it. And God helped me. I was on this, I was right up here. And my dad had been sick for a long time. And he had this cane. And I took the cane. And I, it was just a powerful moment. It, it impacted my life and, and, and my leadership and everything. And I, I took the cane and I busted over my knee and I said, he won't ever have to use this again because he's healed in heaven, right? It was about two and a half months. I was back in my office working on some stuff. It was, it was something really important and they called me, called back to my office and said, my, my office is like the bat cave. Like, he's like, you walk in and you wouldn't even see it. And no. Uh, and so they said, hey, there's somebody up here to see you. I said, well, I'm kind of into something right now. Uh, who is it? We don't know. We'll get their name, and, and uh, I'll, I'll contact them. You may not know this, but pastors get contacted by salesmen a lot. And I like salesmen. I'm not against salesmen, but I'm just saying. And so I thought, well, it's the sales guy, you know, get his name. And they called back, and they said, hey, this guy's name's Ed, and he's back there, and, or he's out here. And, he said he needs to see you. And I said, well, just find out what he needs to see me about. And so third time, this never happens. Hey, he said he really needs to talk to you. So I said, okay. So I come out there, get out to the, to the up there. And it's a busy day when there's a lot of people in the office. And this guy, uh, I didn't know him, older. Uh, I went up. Close to him. On the way up there, I thought, I'm not buying what he's selling, whatever it is. <laughs> he said, hey, uh, we saw the obituary. We didn't know if you, you knew your biological dad. You know how, like, things move fast and move slow all at the same time when you're like, you're, it's like car crash right there. And I'm like, <clears throat> first thought is, this guy is like this most unsmart guy I've ever seen. The most Christian way I could say that. I said, let's go outside. I took him outside. I got out there, and I said, I said, so, well, he said, well, oh, bitch, where he went, and da, 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 and I said, we didn't know, you know, and I'm thinking, just give me your number. He quoted off. I said, okay. I didn't write it down or anything. Thank you. If we want, if we want to know anything, we'll call you. And I, w I went back and called my brother, Ohio. Hey, what? Da, da, da. We talked about all this stuff, you know, and, and uh, a couple years went by, because I'll be honest with you, had a good dad, good parents. I do what I do because I had a good foundation laid. It helped set me up so that I could follow Jesus. I'm thankful. I didn't really think, you know, that I needed to find somebody or wasn't even looking for anybody. <laughs> I could tell you all the thoughts that go through your mind. I remember telling my wife, well, maybe after a couple of years passed by, and, and I told my wife, I said, maybe the people need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus, right? This is, I'm sounding real pastoral to you right now. I didn't know what Pandora's box I was opening. You understand what I'm saying? So I was very cautious. So met, did all this stuff, connected. It was an alpha course that we were doing here. Alpha, if you've ever been through the small, any of our groups, it's several weeks, and then at the end, there's a, a retreat. 
kind of a Holy Spirit weekend. And so they asked me to help lead that. And so I'm there. And so before I can talk about the Holy Spirit, I want to make sure everybody knew Jesus. So I said, if you're here today, just like I would right now, I said, and you don't know Jesus, I just want you to know that you can invite him into your life today. You can have a new life with him. And my biological dad was in that room, and he raised his hand, and we prayed with him. He received Christ as his personal Savior right there. And while I was on sabbatical, they called me because he passed away, and I got to do his funeral. I'm the guy who never elected to, I'm never elected to do a family member's funeral, but I get invited to do them. It's always a blessing when I get to, but you know what I mean. And I got to do his funeral, and I told that story, and he's in heaven right now. Because here's the thing. There's stuff that happens in your life that you don't understand, you can't figure out, and you wouldn't even have chosen it. In fact, if it was, if it was put on the, the buffet as a choice for you, you would say, I'm not going near that. I'll do this, but I don't want that. Maybe it was a painful thing, a hurtful thing, a confusing thing, a thing that was done to you, whatever it was. you say, I would never choose that, but it was out of your control. But then you do, you submit to the things that you can control. And the one who ultimately controls the outcome works above and beyond anything that you could ever do. Romans 8, verse 28, one of my life verses, I got about 150 of them, but one of my life verses, New American Standard Bible says this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He is the God who controls the outcome. And so this morning, I don't know what you're dealing with in life. Maybe everything's going well. Maybe everything's just right. I, I tend to, uh, to, to share this from time to time. Some old preacher told me one time, three places in life that we all land, one of them is maybe you're in the storm right now. Maybe you're facing some stuff. Second place is, if we're not in the storm, maybe just coming out of the storm. That's a good day, isn't it? Third place is, maybe you're about to go into the storm. Jesus, he'll be with you when the storm clouds gather. When the wind, when the, when the fierce winds blow, he'll be with you. He'll be with you. And your response is just, I need to trust him because I want him in my life.